Hi everyone, Gareth here. Just to let you know that if you'd like to support the production of the Music Room podcast, you can. Just head to musicroompodcast.uk slash support or click the link in the show notes. Okay, on with the show. This episode comes with a trigger warning. My guest today has experienced alcoholism, drug addiction, homelessness and attempted suicide. And we discuss them all, not graphically, but enough to let you know up front. Hi, I'm Gareth, a composer for TV and an audio producer for podcasts like this. Like many others, I was lucky enough to have a positive music education. I'm extremely grateful that all that support led me to what I do today. For me, the music room was that place growing up where all the musos gathered like moths to a flame, a place to be with other creative-minded people. So let's go back there and spend some time in gratitude for all the people who've helped us get started. Welcome to the music room. This week in the music room. I started off playing music because it was, I felt like it made me fit in in the world, right? At the age of, I mean, music made me feel like I fit in at the age of three, five, you know, it's just something ridiculous. So now I just, for better or for worse, I try to write things that are, I don't want to use authentic, but true. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Music Room, the show where I chat with composers, songwriters and musicians about who and what inspired them in their formative years. We have some amazing stories from remarkable guests, so do go back and have a listen to the other episodes at musicroompodcast.uk. In this episode, we're going to hear from Ben Shirley, whose turbulent road to becoming a composer takes many twists and turns. It's a story where you have to accept that perhaps Ben wouldn't be the composer he is today without the trials he's faced in his life. It was a real pleasure to chat with Ben, and I hope you enjoy listening too. And stick around, because Ben will be leaving not one, but two items in the music room. Well, actually four in total, but you'll see what I mean. And that all-important advice. But first, music stories. The news this week is that the Music Room Community Group on Facebook has had a bump in members. A big thank you to Ruben Cornell for shouting about the group and another big thank you to admin Rod Williams who helped me accept new people in a timely fashion. And if you're listening to this and are someone who recently joined the group, a very warm welcome and I hope you enjoy being a part of the Music Room community as much as I do. The link is in the show notes if you are a composer, songwriter or musician and want to join us. I have a blankety blank this week. I posted the instrument I started with was blank. Here are some of the replies. Richard Chance says, A rear syntone gifted to our family by 70s band The Dooleys. It taught me about bossa novas, rumbas, and that organs can be both glorious cathedrals of the soul, Hammond B3, or instruments of death, the rear syntone. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. The Dooleys, go and check them out on YouTube. They're like a cross between ABBA, ELO, 10cc, very 70s. Um, Michael Tedston says, My first instrument was the recorder because my dad ran a Renaissance music group that rehearsed in the Glasgow Arts Centre. We've still got a seven-foot contrabass recorder from those times. Later, I was taught the lute at school. Thankfully, Michael also posted a photo of said seven-foot contrabass recorder What an astonishing instrument. Probably not something that would fit in your school bag, anyway. Andrea Posse says, accordion, and adds, no surprise, I am Scottish. Uh, Andrea also adds, never been in the music room before, nice vibe, thank you. Well, thank you, Andrea. Very welcome. 
Simon Schrenk says, probably glockenspiel in preschool, and I actually turned out to study percussion later. Well, 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 that set you up nicely then, Simon. Uh, Gabriel Richards, alto saxophone, still tooting my horn. James Clark, pipe organ, and then piano shortly afterwards. Pipe organ. I asked James how old he was, because the pipe organ is a pretty difficult instrument to learn, isn't it? And he said seven. I mean... He must have been tall for a seven-year-old to reach those bass pedals. Thank you to everyone who replied and circling back to the Facebook group. Thank you for being a part of the Music Room community. Ben Shirley's atypical path to success informs his music. A touring musician for 25-plus years, Ben was previously signed to Epic Records as a bassist, releasing rock radio singles, charting in the top five. Not long after, drug and alcohol addiction drove him into homelessness. In 2011, Ben sought refuge at the Midnight Mission in Los Angeles' notorious Skid Row. He returned to school and rebuilt his musical life from the homeless shelter. And in 2015, Ben was accepted into the San Francisco Conservatory of Music where he studied technology and applied composition. Fast forward, and today Ben is 10 plus years sober. His works are commissioned, performed, and recorded by prominent ensembles, including the Grammy Award-winning Pacifica Quartet and Quadre. His music has been performed by members of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, the New York Philharmonic, Los Angeles Master Chorale, Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra, and the Los Angeles Opera. Let's find out more from Ben himself. Ben Shirley, composer, welcome to the Music Room. Thank you so much for having me. You're my first guest, actually, Ben, from across the pond, and it's pretty early for you, isn't it? 5.38 a.m., and um, I couldn't be more excited to be on here after uh, listening to all your episodes. I was so happy, and when I go out running, I put them on, and it's like, this is so great. So I'm up, have coffee, and I'm ready to go. That's so kind of you. Thank you. Are you a morning person then? Yes. Um, for God, my whole uh, my whole life here, uh, being a professional musician, I was a night owl because touring and all that, you just went to bed at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I just, uh, I find myself to, I love mornings and I'm, I wake up and I just, I'm a talkative person and my wife is, uh, she's a morning person. So that really helps. So, uh, yeah, I'm first. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's get into it. You mentioned touring there. You've had, I'd say, a complex life. And the headlines are that you've experienced drug and alcohol addiction, homelessness, a fight to rebuild your life. But it seems like music was the constant, or at least a regular companion. So I guess my first question is, if music was a person, what would you say to them now? I'm sorry I let you down. And from my sober point in 2011, I'll make it up to you as much as I possibly can. And let me make it right. Yeah. And music was the constant thing that made me feel like I fit in uh, since my earliest musical memory. Okay. I watched, listened to, uh, you have a YouTube video of Dawn's Final Thoughts, which is... Um, yeah. 
proudly advertised on your homepage. Is it cathartic to relive those moments? Because it was about a failed attempt at stepping off a curb into the path of a moving bus, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, uh, yes, in the way that my previous music life, I started off playing music because it was, I felt like it made me fit in in the world, right? At the age of, I mean, music made me feel like I fit in at the age of three, five, you know, it's just something ridiculous. So now I just, for better or for worse, I try to write things that are, I don't want to use authentic, but true. And mm. just to do what I know, instead of, there was a lot of phony baloney stuff in my past music life to where trends and rock bands and things to where, how do, how cool can I look with all them? Oh God. And yeah, it's, it's not so much a process of with cathartic that she used the word, the, the word they use, it's just something that I know. And that's something that's honest. To the best of my ability, uh, for me to say if it's good or bad, that's out of my hands. It's just here you deal with it now. You know, it's like I don't know who that is. And well, I guess if you're being honest, then the good comes along with the bad, doesn't it? You know, it it has to be all in or nothing. Or, or you're so. being honest. You're not being authentic. I I try to be uh, in the music uh, as honest as I can and leave the results out of it. Of course, I want you know, I want it to be liked, but it just this is what it was, and I did it the best of my ability in that time and space, and then I had to let it go. Yeah, I think nowadays, or oh, speaking like an old man now, nowadays, yeah, <laughs> but there, there is this kind of need. People try and fabricate authenticity. Oh, we're going deep, aren't we, very early? But yes. fabricating authenticity. And the irony of that is so missed. Well, you could, people see through that right away, don't they? They do. I mean, you can sit there and put something on or, you know, I like to listen to the radio and keep upon the trends and just what the cool <laughs> kids are listening to. And then you can hear it right away. It's like, oh, that's a, that's a load of balls. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's where I feel and just my opinion, but it's when something hits you in a way to maybe where I can't understand it to where I don't know what the hell is going on here, but maybe that's it. And we know the artists that come out to where it's like, well, that's just brilliant stuff and they dare to be different and there's that authenticity for better or for worse there it is yeah dare to be different or dare to be themselves yes that's because that's personal and that's like here it is it's all raw and uncut here you go now di dissect me and uh do all the things you do to me yeah well as well as shortly becoming an alumnus of the prestigious music room <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're also alumnus of the Gabriella Lane Frank Creative Academy of Music, if I've got that right. Yes. Um, and the Tidricks Distance Learning Program. And you're starting a two-year Composing Earth program. Is that yes. right? Yes. Um, tell us more about that. Uh, first of all, Gabriella is one of the good ones. And what an amazing human being. And it's just a monster composer. It's just what a special person. She's living in Boonville, California, right up where the, the fires are, right past San Francisco. And uh, she uh, studied into climate change was as her surroundings started to burn. And uh, this is uh, cohort number two. And we're almost a year in now. And she asked alumnus of her composing, uh, there's a program where she brings in composers and I, we stayed at her house and, you know, she allowed me to be in this group through an introduction from my old uh, job in 
Los Angeles, and uh, and I didn't I didn't believe in I I'm a climate I'm not a denier, but it's like climate change. Okay, very good. We have enough to worry about, and there's a lot. And now it seems hip and trendy to be a climate believer, and it's like I don't believe in this at all. So I knew right away. Gabriella suggested it. I would reluctantly jump in because she's you know she's very truthful and very honest and. It's like, and if I don't believe it, and I don't know it all, and here we go. So we, we are studying with Rob Davies, and he's a professor at the University of Utah, I believe, in Salt Lake. And if I get this wrong, God, God <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. And uh, he's on climate change, and we're studying with, through lectures and music and uh, through, obviously, through Zoom. And it's eye-opening. I'm not the I'm not the flag carrier for climate change yet, but I'm learning something new, and I'm staying open-minded in willingness, as we say in recovery, right? So I'm I'm learning about that and what I can do in my part here, uh, living where I live now instead of Los Angeles, to, well, from recycling to what what's my carbon footprint, and you know, being in LA, you drive, you live in your car. And now it's just, I, what can we do for the planet that makes sense? So now we have, uh, my wife's got this big garden right out back here. And so we're, you know, we hope to go more uh, self-sustainable. And, you know, it's just a lot of things have changed, you know, with her direction. And the music is just amazing. And the young composers, I say young because, you know, <laughs> not fooling anybody. But they're just, the questions they ask and just, it just, there's so many, I can go get into it for the next two hours on this. It's just great. Yeah. Well, best of luck. And I hope you got those details right. I'm sure you, sure you did. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. If you're ready to go back in time, Ben. Yes. Let's go and discover how it all started for you. The heart. Yes. <laughs> Here we are back in time. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing how it happens. It's magical. Tell me, Ben, what are your first memories of music? I did think of, I, that's your question. And in every episode, I go, what was my first memories? One of the first ones that scared the living Jesus out of me is uh, when I heard as a little kid through the story of my best friend, my green transistor radio was Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. One. And it was, and I used to fall asleep with the radio in my pillow, my earliest memories. And, and it was in the breakdown, you know, symbols and backwards, uh, you know, they just the middle section of whole lot of love. And it scared the Jesus out of me. <laughs> and I knew that was just, uh, you know, the, all the goosebumps. I didn't know what that was. It scared me. But at the same time, I wanted more. You know, I guess it's like drugs and alcohol. It scared the love and hell out of me. And I wanted more. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, yeah, definitely that. And uh, I want to see uh, the Beatles as well. Beatles second album. And, uh, yeah, that's some of it. And, oh, my, my very first one, I'm sorry, is a uh, German Christmas carol that I'm reorchestrating for this Christmas piece. And then I remember oh, wow. standing in Fairtime's department store in Berlin. I was born in Berlin and watching this carousel go around and the song on loop was playing. And I was just standing there just amazed at the sights and the song. And, uh, yeah, I think that was the very first one. Sorry for the long answer. No, no, that, that's great. So you, you have moved around a bit, haven't you? Because you were born in Germany. Yes. I'm an army brat. So, right. we, you know, a handful of places. And um, 
some good and some, uh, but that's a small part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So your first memories really are about listening to music. When did you start to play? Was it a group thing or did you have lessons? What was your first experience of playing music? I received a guitar, a friend's guitar at the age of six, but that was maybe for about a month. I'm left-handed, so it was like a right-handed thing. And so my friend had an older, watched this older kid play my next door neighbor. And it's like, oh, guitar. And I listened to music all the time. I mean, it was just nonstop music. And I didn't know what playing, I couldn't wrap my head around playing. It wasn't one of those, I sat down at the piano at four at lessons. It's just, I had the guitars left-handed and that just made no sense. And then I started again in high school in my freshman year at high school. And I bought a guitar by doing chores and I was terrible. And then someone asked me to join their garage band as a bass player because no, who, no one plays bass. You know, no one plays, wants to play the bass. <laughs> so I said, sure. Cause I saw them rehearse without a, you know, they, they're, they're awful. And, but it, someone was playing some songs. It's like, oh my God. And I watched them and I said, yes, traded that in for a bass, flipped the strings around. And uh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And, yeah. and pe later on, it's uh, when I started playing upright, uh, uh, contra bass or upright bass. It's like, mm -hmm. you're a right-handed bass player now. I said, yeah, no, I'm not. You know, and uh, yeah. Oh, wow. So you were playing the, an upright bass with the strings where they are. Yeah. The low E on the right. Yep. I had to change around uh, when I went to school later on. At, uh, the professor of beginning orchestra, it's like, you, you're a right handed bass player now. It's like, I'm left handed though. It's like, no, you're not. You're good. And I had bought a bass, took it into the shop. And I said, I'm a left handed bass player. And it's like the sound peg inside you would have to take it apart. I didn't know. It's like, there's no time for that. Just put a pickup on it. I'm a metal guy. I just want to see what happens if I run it through my hand pegs and a wall pedal and just, you know, <laughs> get unruly with it. And I brought that to orchestra and I had someone who stood up for me and says, yeah, he's a left-handed bass player. Let him do that. And I went into orchestra and stuck up the joint playing left-handed, you know, <laughs> left-handed bass. And those, uh, those days are behind me now, thankfully. I can imagine that that would be incredibly off-putting for left-handed guitarists and bass players to be forced to play right-handed and, and not actually realize they're any good. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of us out there who are, are left-handed. It's like you're right-handed and I don't, the money issue and just having this stuff available at the time I resented. I, of course, I hate myself about everything, but it's like, I knew I should have been right-handed. Now I wish I would have played right-handed and everything costs so much more and I can't play when I walk into a music store and, you know, ridiculous stuff, but I'm glad I kept it. <laughs> you look at photos of Jimi Hendrix, for instance, and you think, that is so cool. He's got his guitar upside down. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, because yeah, uh, Hendrix made it look cool, you know. I was yeah, being to be a, fair. Being a, like me standing there with my upside down <laughs> Fender copy, it's like, I, I'm just such a terrible person. Look at this, it's awful. <laughs> so effectively you're playing live in high school, um, yeah. playing with bands and the orchestra. What happens then? Got it. Uh, orchestra was uh, in when I started going back to school when I was in the homeless shelter. That's when that happened. Mm. But in bands in high school, played all the metal covers. Everyone hated us. Played backyard party, keg parties. A lot of people, I mean, it was complete 
chaos from fights to the police. You know, it's like, don't get paid. You know, we have 10 kegs of beer in a backyard. You want to play? Absolutely. So we, we had 40 songs of just, you know, back then I was the guy choosing the songs, all British heavy metal, new wave of British heavy metal. So I'm just, I was that guy. So we played all that stuff and, and then Lizzie and then the cops would come and shut us down and we'd do that. And then just a bit later on, we started playing uh, holiday ends on the, the holiday end circuit. We went from metal to this is not doing anyone any good to, well, you can play holiday ends and play Gary Myrick and the figures and the romantics and all this and make money. Well, hell, okay. So being a young kid, you know, making, you know, you can make $200 a week, free alcohol and a room. Yeah. And to get fed. I mean, what do you need back then? That was a fortune. So yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that's the dive into the touring lifestyle, the glamorous world of holiday ends of Gallup, New Mexico. Wow. <laughs> Good Lord. And that turned into getting signed to, was it Epic? Epic. Yes. Yeah. Did the bar club circuit forever and, uh, toured all over the u.s canada and then it's just like i've had a, we've had enough or i've had enough and i gotta go out to los angeles we we're based in el paso texas mm. and uh it's like uh did all the trends stuff just trying to get out of town it's like are you a glam band sure and we put all this crap on and made no sense four months five six months later we took it all off and it's like oh, this is terrible but we got our foot in the door on the touring stage you know on the national circuit and then then we just changed it's like, couldn't do it. So we came out to LA in the summer of 90, slagged it out for, God, uh, everyone else went home. You know, it was just, it's tough living. And I went out there and just slept on floors and used and abused people and did all the Hollywood shuffle things that you do and madness. And, and I got, I had gotten a, met some guys that had songs that were way better than everyone else's at the time. I thought so, or that I heard doing that meet and greet shit with all the bands and uh did a christmas performance for some record people by chance and got offered a deal by capital and a demo deal they sent us in the studio we recorded three songs one was what the song went to number two on the rock charts they didn't like it but epic had heard that demo which they weren't supposed to said if the capital doesn't sign you we're signing you and that's what happened. We're off in the world, the tops, like Spinal Tap, the topsy turvy world of rock and roll. You know? Hello, Cleveland. Yes, that's it. There's a lot. That Spinal <laughs> Tap movie, as you probably know, is 100% true. All of it. <laughs> it's, all, it's all true. <laughs> yeah, so I signed to Epic and started that journey of meeting all my heroes and getting what I wanted or what I thought I wanted in life. I thought yeah. if I can, I'm fighting my whole life, if I can get this. This is going to fix everything in here because I was always a heavy drinker and drugger. And, uh, and it was just no one cares as long as you're able to play. So mm. uh, there's always a time and place for everything. But I was fighting everything in my life. The voices, you know, just uh, the feelings of less than and just struggling and struggling. It's like, this is it. This is going to fix me. And I had my magical moment of, aha, it does not fix you, you know. Oh, yeah. Then it got interesting, you know. Interesting how? What happened? Was there a point where you had just accepted that this is their unrelated happiness yeah. and, and what it's giving you? Well, I had my aha moment looking back in the recovery process. And it's like, where did it flip? 
And I was like, oh my God, there it is. I'm living here in Ohio. And strangely enough, our first arena tour, we went from playing clubs in Los Angeles to the song, they released the single and the song hit the charts and just whoosh, started climbing. And it's like, oh, uh, okay, so you guys are, let's scrap everything. So you guys are playing your last gig at, I forget the name of the club here. And your, your first gig is up here at Ohio State University with, with it's, Forgive me for saying the band's name because, but they're the hottest thing at the time. You're jumping on the Creed tour and, uh, you know, biggest band in the world at that time. It's like, Creed, what's that? I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't never listen to it. And, uh, so we jumped out on here and, uh, the first night of the tour, uh, the arena was full. This people knew the song and we're the opening act. And it's like, I'm looking out. It's like a arena tour. It's like, this is amazing. I had no problems playing in front of people. I walked out. The guy on the stage led us up the flight of stairs with the flashlight and the lights went down. I had my red cup full of beer and I was liquored up and it's not, not too much. I was just liquored up to where, holy shit, this is my, my rock moment. And I go out, the crowd's good doing it. Lights come on. We start playing and I'm looking, I'm doing this thing. It's like, there's an arena full of people and everyone's happy. And like 15 seconds into it. And I'm looking as why is everyone happy? You don't know me. And I immediately go to how come I'm up here and all these people that I know who are struggling and they're just way better than I am because I'm a piece of shit. You know, that's here, here I go down the rabbit yeah. hole and I'm up here, I'm a fraud. This sucks, why are you happy? You don't know me. And I turn around to my drummer, F you, <laughs> F all this, what does it mean? And he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Mid song, mid first song. And then my attitude changed from happy, go lucky, insane kind of drunk guy to now I've got an edge, you know, now I've got a chip on my shoulder and it got ugly later on, but that was my, oh, right. You know, that re later realizing that didn't fix anything, you know, mm. you got what you wanted. There's a lot of things leading up to that. I got to meet my heroes leading up to that, hanging with Black Sabbath in the forum, watching them do their reunion thing, watching them get their platinum record for their yeah. reunion to just meeting my heroes. It's like, oh my, I can't believe I'm living this thing to where. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to name drop or anything, but it was, there's a lot of experiences. This is, I'm, I'm part of this now, you know, mm. it's just good. Thank you, God. And then that get up there on stage, it's like, this is not what it's cracked up to be. They didn't fix this thing, you know, that obviously led to you not being in that situation anymore. But the band ran its course, uh, due to, uh, lack of originality as i call it it's just like they had some we had some songs it's memorable stuff a few of the songs and it's just like yeah and they just petered out drugs and alcohol i wasn't involved in that 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 one and it's and money issues of course you know when money's involved publishing deals and all this stuff and it's just resentments and i'm out of here did the second record and i'm out and uh, yeah got in another band that we formed with no a limit of there's no such thing as no so formed it with a, our drummer from upo and a guitar tech and we all vowed to become insane drug addicts and alcoholics and but we had money and it's like there's no such thing as no and we're a three-piece with massive gear i mean it just loud and 15 minute songs of two riffs or one riff and just became sludge heroin addicts and with made proper records with some big producers and we did not care. And that's what it took me over the edge. Right. It sounded like a bit of a self-destructive path. Yeah. We didn't care. 
Yeah, we didn't care. Uh, there's no such thing as no until I pushed it too far. Then all of a sudden, there is such thing as a no. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, you're fired. And yeah. And then it went downhill after now yeah, rehab, 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 psych ward, psych ward, rehab, psych wards, and then homelessness. And the Skid Row homeless shelter, it appears to be your turning point to your yes. road to recovery. I got beaten down and uh, couldn't die, you know, couldn't shoot myself, but I couldn't die of overdose. It just, I mean, I've took it, I pushed it to, I mean, I couldn't die. And it was so painful. And I wound up in the midnight mission in Skid Row in 2011, May 23rd or 26th. I always get those dates. It's Friday, one of the last Fridays of May 2011. And, uh, I was let in on a Friday, which doesn't happen. I'll keep that long story out of it. But I had my aha moment sitting up there in a dorm. One dorm was 130 something men. The other dorm was 130, 140 men of uh, ex-murderers, uh, gang. I mean, it's ground zero, right? Mm. It's like it's ground zero. And I had my moment of quick, it's over, it's all over. And I never had that before. And then that went away. It's like, oh, there was always a, what if I, when I get out, how am I going to interact with all my friends in this music situation? There's always a, I'm conniving and scheming how to keep it all rolling. And I just sat there and I had no one else at that time. You know, someone dropped me off there and I had no one else. I burned out, burned everything down and it's over. And that's what started my journey. And I still, I'm still in touch with the mission today and I work with them and, uh, yeah, I started my journey of, geez, epic proportions, you know. Your sound now couldn't be any more different to what it was then. Was that a conscious decision to stay away from that style of music or was it just a, kind of a natural route for your creativity to explore? Well, I, it's run its course, you know, at the time when I... When I got sober, it's like I'm at an age where if you're in an established band for 20 years, you know, of course people want to see you play the hits, but it's like, that's my time has got, come and gone in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, at this, at the six months part at the Midnight Mission, you have the option to, at then you had the option to go to school or get a job. And I said school, and I was a D student in high school. I smoked pot, failed guitar class and learned Black Sabbath cover songs. And I couldn't wait to get out of there fast enough. And I chose school and uh, they had an electronic music certificate program to work. Maybe I can get, a, and a, we call it an SRO in Skid Row, a single room occupancy to where maybe I can get a little recording thing and I could record some songs and work, I'm working my McDonald's job. And that's all I, I mean, my goals and dreams and words, maybe I can hold a job so I can buy myself some clothes instead of getting donated clothes. <laughs> And uh, I went to school there and they said, you're in a, here's our program for recording and all this stuff here, take this. And okay, I'm a D student. This is going to fail miserably. And I, and I took that and, uh, and financial aid allowed me to take that at Los Angeles city college. And, uh, and that started my way into sitting in the front of the class and asking all the questions because I was too old to care about looking stupid. And I just started to learn about music and I didn't make any conscious decision. I just knew that rock life was over. And I just, I didn't know, maybe I could just plunk along in my room. And uh, recovery taught me to sit in front, ask questions, be of service. And I became an A student, honor roll student, Dean's List. I don't know, it's, it's recovery, not me. 
you know. <laughs> and uh, and then you did you did that. I you say it's recovery, know. but you you have to take responsibility for your recovery, don't you? So, well, I had I, I can control showing up, you mm. know, and and we're and putting the work in and everything else around it. It's just if I start trying to force my will into things, it always goes sideways. Still <laughs> to this day, it's like. This is what I'm doing, and God help you all. This is, it's like, no, no, you know, I, I call it God, but it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty funny that you think you're going to do that. But how about this over here and be in enough pain to try something new? And it's like, oh, but yeah. I finally started to read notation. I could read music. Shocking. This is amazing. Classical music, never understood it. It's beautiful. But it's like, what does it all mean? And I had a teacher listen some music with me time and time again it just beat him into the ground until it clicked and went, oh my god beethoven's violin sonata to me gives me the same feeling as black sabbath one when i put it on and sit there and just as a kid clench my fist up and i go i don't know what's happening right here but i want to burn this thing to the ground and i'm alive yeah and i got that and i wrote a few things that sucked and it's like well you're a composer what and it's like composer <laughs> i'm a bass player and i'm just trying to you know i gotta walk to skid row tonight after classes at 11 o'clock tonight and hopefully not get murdered so a composer and that's what started the journey and now i'm consciously trying to stay away from uh i like the heavy music still and i listen to that yeah but i don't want to be metal guy writing classical and fall into symphonic metal which, and uh, or that kind of thing. There's heavy music out there that gives me that feeling of clenching my fists and just, oh my God. And it's out there, Prokofiev, you know, gives a great example of to where that guy is, or the overused name, but my guy, Beethoven, is metal before my coffee cups uh, says uh, angry before metal. And it's got a picture of Absolutely. Beethoven. And it's like, yeah. well, that's. That's some stuff there. So I think his place in chronological music history as well, he came along and, you know, after the classical period of Mozart, I mean, Mozart could, uh, he, he wrote some stompers, didn't he? But, you know, you know Beethoven <laughs> came along and he, he had this, in comparison, this huge sound, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. And he just went out there and with his big balls and just, just, <laughs> smack people over the head with them that's like you know led a tragic life and it's like this is it like it or you know i will hit you in the head with a beer stein and just didn't <laughs> did not care you know just didn't care so ben i ask all of my guests to leave an item and a piece of advice in the music room for others to find what item would you like to leave you know that was such a hard question because what helped me out I'd, I'd love to leave my little green transistor radio because that's the thing that inspired me. Uh, I'd, if I can leave two, please, may I? Of course. Um, yeah. I'd like to leave my little green transistor radio that was my friend and made me feel like a part of the world. And uh, it's my spiritual little pocket spiritual guidance, if you will. And uh, I'd also like to leave these three little books that I found so valuable when i started in my music journey at los angeles city college the the essential dictionaries here the little ones that i carried around music oh, cool. notation and orchestration it doesn't dive into it like the ghoul does obviously but it shows you know what's i didn't understand tuning in fifths 
on, on the violin tuning and fits i was still so new and scattered and and i could just look up violin or bassoon ranges and i would read about it and get so excited and i'd have these books and the, the beginning music students like what does it say about and i'd have I, I was that guy to the kids to work my book says or harmonics you know harmonics here it's like oh so i'd like to leave my uh, little books of essential orchestration and music notation and like pocket music dictionary. That's fantastic. I think you're the, I think you're the third person to put in a book of orchestration, all different books as well, which is quite nice, but I think it shows the need for understanding other instruments, especially if you're writing for them. And believe me, I don't understand anything about anything. So I'm not that kind of like, I'm found out how I'm a fraud, but I'm trying. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not in the slightest. And, you know, I've seen you have used harmonics and string effects, I suppose, in your writing quite a lot to great effect. It really builds an atmosphere, doesn't it? Wow. Thanks for the kind words. And I'm just trying. And it's so hard to, I know what I, I can sit and go into the studio with a guitar. It's like, how do you write that in a thing with string effects? Lean guitar on amp at 90 degrees, turn up to, you know, it's like, how do I know how to do in the studio yeah. to make it do that thing to where I like it, but how do you put that on the page? Yeah. You know, so I'm, uh, it's always an exploration and it's just getting access to performers who are willing to do that and not, I definitely by no means, uh, I'm not a new music guy, you know, uh, to the sense of where there's some out there stuff. And that's like, that's, that's not me. And now I'm getting access to players to where, wow, this is cool. Or who are buying into it. And it's like, yeah, I'll buy into that and play and not just wash over it and go that that's a nice paycheck. And how's this? I'm out of here. Yeah. So now I have some, it's a group of people that are willing to help me out. And it's every day is a learning experience. And it's like, I was like when I was a little kid discovering music, just drinking it in and so excited. And about this rich history of, you know, on music. What advice would you like to leave in the music room for others to find? You can do anything you want to, uh, allow people to help. And this is overused, but it, it is what it is. It's, and be yourself for mm. better or for worse. You know? Yeah. And, and we always aspire to be, man, look at all the stuff they're doing and I'm never doing that. And I'm so far behind or I can't do it. I just, I, oh God. Just work hard, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I have a bad habit of falling into the cracks of, I only f I'm hyper-focused on this and not shirk my responsibilities, but I not disregard, but I put off other things, uh, you know, uh, that surround me that are meaningful to the point of where if my wife wants to do some things and it's like, I've got to work, you know, don't you know? and be mindful of that as well you know we have to have the outside experiences you have to love your family and uh, i'm not going to say love yourself you know hate yourself maybe you'll get some great music out of it but <laughs> there's some beauty around you that don't neglect those responsibilities and those gems as well that's that's valuable advice ben thank you uh authenticity i think has been a, a thread that's gone all the way through this episode so be authentic composers and songwriters and musicians yeah. keep it real Keep it real. No, we can't end oh, on that. No, you just you just drop that the turn oh. of the school. It's like, all right, music room, keep it real. <laughs> Davy's out. Click. I'm I'm banging my chest. 
Yeah. No, I take that back. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> Ben's kissing his fingers to the sky. No, yeah, no, give it real. Rewind. Give it real, son. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> oh, Ben, thank you so much. It's been a joy chatting with you, and thanks for joining me in the music group. Thank you for having me, and what a special podcast you have. Just pop. Thanks. Thanks for this morning. Thank you.